Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards, and thank you so much for joining me for the 73rd episode of the show, and to once again sentence our Guilty Games guest to a deserted life with only 8 games to play for the rest of their days. My guest this week is truly a larger-than-life character, a wonderful living meme himself, and a game studio founder. But before the bright lights of internet fame, memory, and games, he studied electrical engineering at the University of Illinois back in the early 90s. From there, my guest entered the foray of the video games industry working as a programmer for the now-defunct studio Acclaim. Moving his way through various programming jobs up to the early 2000s, where my guest took a job as an engineer at Microsoft Game Studios. His wealth of experience, and I imagine his immense sense of humor, landed him a role as the studio technical director for Midway Games, the studio responsible for, of course, the Mortal Kombat series and many, many other fantastic games. Midway unfortunately went defunct in 2010, but two years prior, in 2008, my guest jumped ship to form his own studio. In that same year, my guest founded Iron Galaxy, a brand new Chicago-based studio that worked alongside other developers doing contract work to help get port some huge titles to console and PC. In 2012, the studio created its first ever IP, Wrecketeer, and followed up with their second in 2013 with the hilarious and fantastic fighter, Dive Kick. My guest stepped down as CEO of the company whilst former PlayStation man and my guest's good friend Adam Boys took over. My guest moved into a position as the co-CFO of the company, a position he's still in to this day. You probably know Iron Galaxy for their involvement in creation of some fantastic games, but you might also actually know my guest from his various and hilarious involvement with some of the giant bomb crew sometimes and gracing our internet screens. I'm incredibly excited to say that joining me this week is the wonderful and probably tallest Final Games guest so far, Mr. Dave Lang. Hello Dave. How we doing Liam? How we doing? I'm good man, how are you? Hey, are you too young to know the show Name That Tune? Uh, I'm also not American, so... Okay, so in America we had the show called Name That Tune, and basically they'd be like, "Uh, this is a song, it's a 60s song, it's it's this, it was this. And then the first contestant would go, I can name that song in 11 notes. And then the next one, I can name it in 10, I can name it in 9. And then eventually they're like, okay, name that (laughs) tune. And then they would play 9 notes, and then they had to name the tune, and if they didn't, the other person got the point. That's what it felt like when you're starting to rattle off. Like, I can name this guest in five clues. It's like, oh, (laughs) then he went to Midway. That's got to be Dave Lang. (laughs) Well, also, if you somehow haven't read the title of the podcast episode, like if you manage to avoid reading the iTunes update of episode 73, Dave Lang, before listening to (laughs) to the introduction. So just ignore I said that analogy. We can edit that out, right? That's fine. (laughs) It's all good. It's okay. Dave, it's so good to have you on the show finally, man. Yeah, I'm glad. We've been trying to get this together for a bit and schedules and other things and whatnot. Yeah. And now, but all that matters is here we are right now. We're putting we digital are. entertainment in people's ears. And we are. We're here in people's ears. And David, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. We we met last year in Japan during, I think it was TGS. Yeah. Uh, was it TGS or Bit Summit? I, it was one of the two. It was one of the two. Oh yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it was TGS. I think you're correct. Yeah. I think I think yeah. I think we briefly met at Bit Summit and then we spoke properly at TGS. I think that, that was the That all sounds correct to me. Yeah. Yes. And it was it was a good chat and then we finally were trying to organize this and got you on the show and now the eight you've chosen are very distinctly different from the usual sort of fair. Um and I'm really excited to talk to you about the eight games you've chosen. A lot of the games that you have chosen are games that I haven't I've never played before, so that's always good that, for me because yeah, it's that's like I'm I, listening to the episode as well. 
That's because I have bad taste in games. That's that's the pro- that's the primary reason. I was but, wondering like what the Dave Lang list would be. I was like rattling my brain like, what would Dave choose? Like I was thinking like there'd be like some burnout or some like Def Jam and stuff. stuff I consider like I, I considered Burnout Paradise. I definitely concert because it was like on my initial list of like fifteen games. Yeah, uh, but it did not make the first round of cuts. Oh, I like I like to hear that there was cuts. I always like when it's a when the guest has had an arduous, tough time deciding what the eight is going to be. That's always yeah, really, go, really good it for wasn't, me. It wasn't too hard. Going 10 to 8 was hard. Uh, the, no spoil, like Minor spoilers. The casualties were StarCraft Two and Spelunky. Those were the casualties. Oh, those were the casualties. So people yes. are wondering what the hell the, the other games were then. It's crazy. But bef- yeah. before we get into that, we have to talk a little bit about you then, Dave. We have to talk about you being on the show and... How you sort of got to this point, the the epitome of your career now being on Final Games, being sent to a deserted island after a yes. long and starred career. Um, but tell me, how is it that you uh, sort of ended up starting out in the games industry? You studied electrical engineering, right? But you ended up doing programming. So I ended up making, so I grew up uh, with a early interest in computers. And I, I'm, so I was... Like I graduated from eighth grade in 86, like just to calibrate for everybody how old I am, right? So I was, I was kind of like coming of age, like the dawn of the personal computer, right? Yeah. And yeah. I am I was very fortunate that I have two amazing parents and we were not, uh, we were, you know, definitely like middle to upper class and they could support me in all my interests. And so they got me a Commodore 64, I think in like the sixth grade or whatever. And I just kind of just never, I didn't do anything but like mess around on that computer. Um I kind of taught myself to program and I would make just silly little things. I never really made games or whatever. And then I kind of continued that interest through high school. And then, uh, I, like I went to college for electrical engineering, as you mentioned. Um, and I kind of just like, didn't really even think about games as a thing you could do. And then like the semester before I'm graduating, uh, double E from Illinois, I go to, I just bought a 3DO that summer and I was playing all kinds of 3DO, like my FIFA. I was playing FIFA like nonstop. Um, <laughs> it was it was pretty sick. And then uh, I think the the PS One just came out as well, so we're playing a lot of that. And it never really occurred to me I could make games until I went to I think it was a Babbage's or something, because I heard a rumor. I don't even know how at this point in time, because this was like, like there wasn't an internet that we know of today at this point in time. This is like yeah. Uh, this is yeah. This is like uh, like probably like ninety four, ninety five, right? So it's like there's like IRC and there's stuff like that, but there's not like like the first search engine like just came into being, right? So I have no idea how I found out about this, but I found out that 3DO was working on an expansion pack for the 3DO called the M2. Okay. And I went to Babbage's to find out more about it because I was like 3DO fanboy, and. I go the Babbage's person. He's like, well, you, this is really what a quinky dink. There's an issue, like issue number five, I think it was, of Next Generation Magazine has a whole layout on the M2 and what it's going to be. And so I'm like, fuck, okay, let's go. By the way, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, Liam, uh, you there? Yeah, yes, yeah. Oh, is it cool if I swear on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So I said, like what I said before, <laughs> and I go, <laughs> I go, this is super rad. So I bought the magazine and I brought it home. And just kind of flipping through it, like I'd never seen a next-gen magazine before. And if, you, if you've ever seen one of them, it's like super high production value, like yeah. super glossy pages, uh, lots of beautiful art. But in the back of it, <laughs> they had employment ads for development studios, right? Oh. 
And so I didn't even know, like, I, I must have thought, like, all games get made in Japan or something. Like, I didn't even know, like, it happened over here. And so I just, like, dropped everything and applied to every studio I could find in the in the uh, in North America. Um, I ended up getting interviews at three of them and a job offer from one of them, and I took that and ran with it. So that's kind of how I got my, my break. Nice. Like, a very old-school, traditional kind of way. Like, you hear stories of a lot of the Japanese developers are always like, oh, I was finishing university and I was just browsing through magazines and I found, like, Square Enix were offering roles uh, for new staff and stuff like that and I just applied through a magazine and got the role and now they're, like, starred games industry members and that's kind of what happened with you also. That's really cool. Yeah, like, I I knew, like, yeah, like, for me, I I had no idea what I was really getting into because, like, I made stuff as a hobbyist but I never really worked with anybody and i never really collaborated on anything ever uh or any you didn't kind of study it either you did you did it like a completely different degree as well oh uh, i mean electrical engineering is like like most programmers um i think probably like have cs degrees or whatever but it's not like by a wide margin like some of the best oh, okay engineer- yeah so some of the best like um engineers uh like pro- or programmers i've ever worked with have like math degrees or physics degrees yeah and the reason for that is is like like all of this stuff, like engineering, the hard sciences, they just teach you how to solve problems, right? They teach you like how to take this big problem. Like I want to make Pong, okay? And then break that into a bunch of little solvable steps. Like, okay, well, first I need to be able to render a puck. And then I need to be able to move the puck side to side. And then the puck needs to collide with the ball. And then you turn that one problem into a thousand solvable problems and you start doing it. And like all the hard sciences teach you how to do that. And then the only kind of like trade skill you need is the ability to program. And I had already kind of taught myself how to do that. And so that's what allowed me for it. So like, you're right. Like the, the degree, especially back then wasn't one-to-one applicable with what I wanted to do, but like yeah. just through, just through combination of just kind of dumb luck, I had the skills I needed to do it. Did you feel like you jumped into the deep end a little bit or did you sort of naturally gravitate to learning your role as a programmer and did you pick it up pretty quickly? So I, I got really lucky. The first studio I worked for was a studio called Sculptured Software. And the, in between the time I accepted the job and the time I started there, they got bought by a claim, but like they, it was just the start of like the, um, uh, like PlayStation one and Saturn development era. Right. It was yeah, like, it was like, yeah. it was right, right, right between like 16 and 32 bit is when I, when the I made cusp this jump. Of the 3d era. And so like sculptured was like a very prolific 16 bit developer. They were very, like they did the Genesis version of mortal Kombat two. And all the Star Wars games for Super Nintendo. And, like, they did a billion games I loved and played. And I just got there as they were trying to figure 32-bit out. And so it was kind of a really good time to get there because, like, people knew how to program. They knew how to do their jobs. But they were just figuring out, like, what development processes and what they needed to do for the new, like, generation of hardware. And so, ah, yeah, yeah. So you're all sort of in the same boat. You kind of turned up and everyone was trying to relearn stuff. And you're like, ah, it makes me kind of... Right, feel so left behind. Yeah, I mean, they were still all way ahead of me just because they had, like, you know, most of them had figured out the jump from 8 to 16, and so they'd, like, been through something like that before. Yeah. But, like, it gave me some kind of basis for, like, okay, we're all kind of the same in this regard. Like, you know, I didn't really know how to be a professional yet, and I didn't know, like, what it meant to be a good teammate yet. Um, And there's a lot of things I learned from my awesome kind of leads I had at Sculptured. But, like, in terms of just, like, the technical stuff, that I just could like muscle my way through that and work really hard and figure it out. So then you were working as a programmer through most of the nineties up to the early two thousands and you switched over to 
Microsoft, as an engineer, what was the sort of difference between what you'd been doing, you know, in the previous studios working as a programmer to then being this uh, this role as an engineer? So it was the same role, just Microsoft called it a different thing. Ah, okay. um, I, I thought I, maybe that was the case. I actually had one stint in between there that's apparently not on the internet. Um, oh. So in between Sculptured. So Sculptured, uh, I mentioned, got bought by Acclaim. At some point, Acclaim ran the management team of Sculptured out, and Sculptured went, those managers made a new studio called Kodiak Interactive. And I did not really like a lot of the new management that was kind of running the studio, and so I jumped ship and went to Kodiak. There we worked on a bunch of games like WCW Mayhem, WCW Backstage Assault, and we started on a game called MLB Inside Pitch for Microsoft. And okay. then Kodiak went out of business like mid-development on Inside Pitch. And it just so happened that Microsoft had a studio in Salt Lake. They had, it was previously Access Games, the people that did like the Tex Murphy games uh, and, and like Links and stuff like that, the golf game Links. Yeah. And they did, they bought them because they wanted like, we need more people that can make cool games for the original Xbox. And so somehow decided Access was that company to buy, turned them into Microsoft Games Salt Lake. They brought about half of the baseball team of Kodiak internal to Microsoft just to finish that game. And I, I did not like it there at all. Um, I did not really fit into that studio. Uh, it was kind of, I didn't really fit into Microsoft really either. Uh, I can tell, so, I can tell by the tone of your voice, the memories are flooding back of the, the, the events or bad things that happened during that stint. <laughs> like, yeah, we were kind of just the ugly. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to oversell it, but we were definitely like, people didn't really know what to do with us. So like, you know, they were kind of a tight-knit crew, and they've been working together for a long time. And then this kind of new team just shows up out of nowhere, and we did things our own way. And so, like, I don't want to put it all on that situation or that company or whatever, but uh, ultimately it was not a good fit for me. And um, at the same time, my wife uh, was – my wife uh, – so I went to went to uh, basically the nearby college with my wife, and she graduated first. And then she moved with me out to Salt Lake, and she got a job out there. We got married, and she's like, I want to have kids. Let's start – like knocking a family out. And that meant we had to go back like to the Chicago area to do that. Yeah. It's like, she's from a big Italian family and there's no way she's having uh babies like 1200 miles from them. That's just like not possible. Right. So yeah, family stick together kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, interviewed at a bunch of, interviewed at two places, interviewed at, uh, what was it called? Um, new effects, which had done the NBA street games, they also did uh, Knockout Kings, I think it was called, or Knockout. Is that right? Knockout Kings? Um, oh, the bo the boxing game. Yeah, yeah, the really cool boxing game. And then uh, Midway. And the only reason I ended up going to Midway, I really liked the new effects job better. But Midway gave me a lead uh, position. that was a tech lead on Slugfest. And I also knew the person who was running the sports department because I worked with them at Sculptured. Uh, it was okay. a dude by, dude by the name of John Dean who actually ran Argonaut before that, um, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. And I love John. John was an uh, amazing person to work with at Kodiak. He just kind of like, he just kind of absorbs a bunch of uh, garbage so the employees don't have to. And I was like, well, okay, if he's a Midway and he's saying it's okay, uh, that'll be okay. So that's how I ended up at Midway. Nice. And you ended up getting a pretty decent role. It sounds like in title. Yeah. I ended up working my way. This is one of those, uh, like my whole life. You know, when you start off as like little toady engineer, like, and you're all your coding is like menus or mini games in Space Jam or whatever, like, you aspire to be like, you know, a studio tech director. Like, that's like the, that's like the career path you're supposed to take, right? Like, yeah, you, you're like a junior engineer, then you're an engineer, 
then you're a senior engineer, then you're a lead engineer, then you're a tech director, then you're studio tech director. Like that's a well-worn path. I got to Midway and I set out to like kind of do that. And sure enough, I was like lead engineer on Slugfest, uh, the sh or yeah, Slugfest loaded and then Blitz the League and then became sports tech director. And then shortly after that became was, studio tech director of Chicago. Was Blitz the League the, the NFL game? Like the, nope. the, the American football game that... It was, was unlicensed. It was the unlicensed one. It's the one where like I shot loved up. that game. That game's really good. That's, I hate I, think... I hate American football as someone who loves soccer and is British. But for some reason, I was really drawn to a blitz the league. I really like that game. So yeah, that, that, that game was great. Been, yeah, that game was really weird. It was something that like like Midway had a problem um, that's not uncommon to a lot of publishers, but like they were trying to annualize their sports games, right? And okay. what they what they figured out is like people, it's not like Madden where people will spend $60 on Madden year over year just to get the new roster. Right. Yes. Like um, people didn't do that for the arcade sports games we made. And so like the sales of blitz, it was what we call, I think they end up calling it the 60% rule. Like every year we put out a blitz with no gap in between the previous one. It sold 60% of what the previous one did. And so it was this spiral into nothingness and it was true for the baseball game. It was true for the hockey game. It was true for football. And so we're kind of like eventually like, well, this is still an amazing IP. We should do something with it. And so, so like before I was on the team, they had this idea of like, let's pitch this really like do what the NFL won't let us do. You know, let's tell a story they won't let us tell. Let's yeah. do a bunch of really cool stuff. And then I get there and I just couldn't believe what they were trying to do. Right. Like super violent uh, leans into every kind of stereo, like negative stereotype about like professional athletes and, like philandery and like performance enhancing drug use and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is wild, <laughs> but it's super cool. And then we also innovated in a bunch of game areas too, but no one in Midway believed in it. And I remember there was, um, there that we had our holiday party after blitz came out and blitz ended up like exceeding sales expectations by, I don't know, like a huge factor. Like I think in the first couple months it sold like 1.6 million units. Right. Which was really great for blitz. Yeah. Um, and one of the, like the CFO in a previous meeting and kind of famously said, uh, if Blitz sells, if Blitz breaks even, I'll eat my shoe. And so then at the holiday party, they made a big shoe out of a cake for him and uh, had him go to town. <laughs> on it. It, was pretty, it was pretty cool. <laughs> so you, you were saying about the progression, you know, people go through and I, I think a lot of people listening will know all about that in various aspects of their, you know, roles and jobs and all that kind of stuff. But you kind of just... You skipped out on all that. You went from being the studio tech director to then being the founder of a game studio. Yeah, I actually, uh, I set that story up. I never finished it. So uh, <laughs> this this is like a classic case of like, be careful what you wish for. Because like I did, so I did the sports tech director and the studio tech director thing. And I found out like, boy, do I hate being studio tech director. Like <laughs> this is, this job is really shitty. Uh, like all you do, you're in a bunch of meetings you're not really making like, like this, like my job on paper was to um, kind of facilitate technical decisions to get made to help games teams when they run into problems and just be like a lubricant for like problems that the teams run into. Right. Just like help yeah. make problems disappear essentially. But like realistically, like what am I going to tell? Like Mortal Kombat team have been making essentially the same game for like 25 years. Right. Like, they don't yeah. need me poking my nose in there and being like, have you ever thought about trying this? You know, like, <laughs> they, they know what they're doing. Like, they don't need my feedback on stuff, right? And so 
it was a really boring job and I, I had a really hard time finding um, kind of like a reason to want to do it. And at the same time, Midway uh, kind of flamed out. It was, it was definitely going out of business. This was like early 2008 when I started thinking about this. Like I was a you know, director of the company, so I had some insight into just how bad things were and they were really bad. And I was talking to my wife about it. And I'm like, you know, like, they're probably going to get laid off here in some at some point in the future. Like, maybe I should just try doing my own thing for a bit and see how it goes. And at first it was kind of like, well, I don't know. You have a kid on the way, and I'm not sure that's so smart. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. And then eventually just kind of wore her down and uh, <laughs> just decide, basically just decided, like, things were getting so bad at Midway. It's like, it's no less risky starting my own thing than, than doing this Midway thing. And uh, I kind of gave myself three months to kind of get something going. And then if three months come and go and I didn't have anything going with Iron Galaxy, I was going to go get like a, a regular job somewhere, which meant we probably would have had to move. But okay, um, that, that was kind of like the that was the process by which I got it going. So tell me about the three months then. What what action plan did you make? What did you put into so, the process to win her yeah, over? So it was pretty much easy mode, unfortunately. Like I wish this was like a better story, but it was like. Um, a while, so I met Adam Boys, who you mentioned before is now CEO of IG. Um, yeah. this is where I met Adam. So I met him at Midway. Uh, we started within a couple of weeks of each other and we were on Slugfest together and we became like super fast friends, right? Like we were like at Midway, it was a weird place. Like if you weren't at Midway 15 years, they treated you like you just came in off the street, right? Like Midway had people that had been there 30 years, right? It's insane, right? It's like, yeah, Midway just, had been around for so long as yeah. well. And so me and Adam always felt like we we're kind of like outsiders at Midway and we didn't really fit in. And so we just kind of like used that to kind of like bond and, and kind of like just excel there. A Adam ended up leaving well before I did because he had a great opportunity at Capcom to be director of production yeah. or Capcom, Capcom US. And uh, he's like, he, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this thing. And he's like, well, we need some help on Dark Void like right now. So <laughs> if, you, if, if you want to jump out, I've got like your first gig for you if you want to jump out. And I'm like, well, let me think about it. Let me think about it. And eventually, like, what am I doing? Like, I might as well do it. And so, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, first six months, it was just me on Dark Void helping with PS3 stuff. Um, what was it you were doing? Like, so the, it was a really fortuitous situation coming out of Midway. So uh, Midway made a technology decision that every game was going to be an Unreal 3. And this was like a very, this was like before. 360 and PS3, people even knew, kind of knew what they were, right? And yeah. We had a game called Stranglehold coming out, and Stranglehold was the game that was going to save Midway, or not, right? It was this. Was that the huge... John Woo game? Yeah, correct. Okay, it was. Yeah. It was. It was the video game sequel to the movie Hard Boiled, right? Was that uh, creative yeah, vision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So the uh, and but Midway bet everything on this game, right? And it had to be successful, and it had to come out, and like the. It didn't matter that like Unreal Three didn't work on PS3 yet, right? So like like Unreal Epic never shipped a PS like we shipped the first running software on Unreal Three on PS3 and it was Stranglehold, right? Um, Turok shipped a couple weeks after us, so we just barely beat them. And then like Unreal Tournament, which is the first Epic game, shipped quite a bit after that. So like I really really understood as part of that process, just one how crummy at the time. Eventually Epic fixed all these problems and they weren't an issue anymore. But at the time it was like uh ps3 version of unreal 3 was completely borked but i knew it i knew where it was borked and how it was borked and how to fix it and so that's all i did that's like the original vision of the company is like i'm just gonna fix ps3 for people using unreal 3 right 
And first up is Dark Void. So okay. I got a I got a dev kit from Capcom. I set it up in my basement. I made an office in my basement. And I just did like PS3 Dark Void coding all day long. That's all I did. So So you never the, you never lost any of that sort of programming skill through your studio technical director's job then? I did, but I got it back pretty quick. Okay. Because uh, it wasn't like it wasn't I wasn't tech director that long. It wasn't like I was tech director ten years. I was like it was probably like about nine months of doing that job before uh before i end up quitting probably maybe a bit longer but something like that um so it wasn't that huge a gap i kind of dove back in and i was rusty for sure like like programming is like anything it's like piano or it's like uh you know sculpting or whatever like you're either getting better at it or you're getting worse at it you know like there's no (laughs) there's, there's no like i'm just staying the same and the only way you get better is to do it every single day and so by not doing it, I got a little worse, but it all came back to me pretty quick. And um, the team was airtight games up in uh, the Redmond area. So I'd travel up there every once in a while. I'd work out of their offices every once in a while. But most of the time, I was just in my basement for like, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, just trying to figure out how to make Dark Void run on PS3. And you got it working because PS3 version of that game is the one I played. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, yeah, eventually. So I didn't get it going by myself. Eventually, we determined we needed a lot more help to get that going. And this is when I started bringing on people I worked with at Midway. And so, like, by the end of the first year, so it went from the first six months was just me. And then over the next six months, I hired six, six of my friends. Um, and they all knew basically what I knew. And so uh, Dark Void ended up having, like, I think all six of us on it at some point or another um, to help make that thing ship. So it wasn't, it wasn't just me, but, yeah, it was, it was, that, that was, like, the basis of, like, essentially modern Iron Galaxy because – when I started the company, I wasn't, I, like, I, I knew there was a version of the company where I grow to be like a regular studio, Yeah. Um, but there was, but there's also a version of the company where it's just me and I'm just doing consulting. Right. Yeah. And I wasn't really sure. Cause part of me was like, you know, I just, I've got my second kid on the way and then we probably want to have more after that. And I don't do want to be, do I want to commit to this whole being a game studio, crunching all the time, doing all these kind of things. It, yeah. Like, like the, like, like you work hard enough at a game studio as it is, uh, like without, imagine building one and working that hard at the same time. It just seemed impossible. And so I, I wasn't really convinced it was the right thing to do. But um, eventually I kind of drew that conclusion that like, no, I could totally do this in a way that's like manageable and not insane and not going to require me to work 90 hour weeks or whatever. And once I figured that out, uh, talked some of my lunatic friends into taking the plunge with me and there we go. And that's crazy because now we're talking, you know, it's 2018. So it's what, nine nine years or so. Yeah. It'll be 10 years in August. Yeah. 10 years. And then you've got two studios now. Yeah. So Chicago, like I said, opened up in August, uh, 2018. And then we opened up an Orlando studio in, uh, July of 2012. I think it was. Um, and the main reason for that, there's a couple reasons, but like, Chicago is a tough place to run a studio. Like there's not a lot of local government support. Uh, there's, it's really hard to recruit like Chicago. Like if you think about like U S game development landscape, people come from LA or San Francisco or Texas or Seattle where it's not like bitterly cold. Right. And so yeah, you're trying to get people to come. And also everyone thinks like the minute they get off the plane, they're going to get shot in the face or something. Right. And so <laughs> I have, I do think that, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, like, it's garbage, but these are like the things we have to contest with, right? And so yeah, recruiting, yeah. Rec- and it's also relatively expensive, right? And so Chicago, 
And I knew this from like trying to recruit at Midway, right? And so I knew I knew those yeah. problems existed already. So always kind of had a vision of like, okay, let's get like the kernel of the company going in Chicago and then maybe branch out somewhere else, which is why like, you know, I put the studios in the name, the plural in the name. Cause I, I like knew this was like one of the possible outcomes. Um, and Orlando is a great place to run a game studio compared to Chicago. So we still hire in Chicago. We still like bring people in and interview and do all that stuff. But like, or at this point, Orlando is quite a bit bigger than Chicago. So like the, the sort of main upper echelon of Iron Galaxy are in Chicago. And then you do most of the development in Orlando. Uh, it's like, well, I wouldn't want to say the upper echelon cause that's not the case. Like, I think we've got like, well, one of the advantages of like, um, by Chicago and upper echelon, I mean you. <laughs> yeah. So like, so like the, like the leadership team, like me, Chelsea and Adam are in Chicago. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. That's that. But like the, uh, one of the cool things about Orlando is like, you know, at the time N space was there, who'd been around forever. Tiburon is there. Right. And so, yeah. Uh, and really good schools for video game development are there. So like, we are like, okay, if we can get a couple senior type people from Tiburon and Enspace, we can get our junior people out of these schools and maybe some other smaller developers, like we could build a studio. And that ended up being pretty much exactly how we did it. Um, it ended up working out really, really well. Excellent, man. So how often do you have to go to Orlando then? How often do you travel down? So I used to go, when we were getting it going, I used to go for a week a month um okay but now now i don't go anywhere near that it's more like so the way the the leadership team is split up so uh there's me adam who's the ceo and adam this is not going to be like to the detail correct but like really high level kind of picture summary of what our responsibilities are adam is kind of responsible for like future planning and strategy right yeah i'm responsible for making sure the 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 current business we have stays on the tracks so that's why i see you in japan checking up on right. some stuff then yeah yeah okay. and the, and chelsea is the one who makes all the games so chelsea is our chief product officer and she runs all the game teams so she's in orlando a ton these days i think she's uh, down i think she might be down there once a month she probably is down there once a month um like i used to be but i just basically go it's like oh it's company meeting time or there's something to go or just like i should go get some facetime with some people or whatever right um yeah yeah so it's like it's it's now uh, definitely established and kind of its its own its own studio in a way it wasn't when we were getting started where conceivably I would never have to go down again because it's kind of just like humming down there right now. So <laughs> just avoid at all costs. Yeah, like don't, don't, don't if I go down there I'll probably fuck it up. So like just keep me away from it. <laughs> like an oiled, well oiled machine. It's kind Correct. of going back to the Mortal Kombat thing again. Like uh, do. Do you guys need my help at all? <laughs> yeah. No? Like, no? Oh, you guys are good? Okay. okay hey, uh, have you guys uh, ever uh, heard uh, of girl shading? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they won't have to worry about it because you're going to get sent to a deserted place now. Boy, that's a, s- it's a classic win-win for everyone involved. Exactly, right? We're going to send you yeah. away um, so you can play these eight wonderful games that you've chosen, but also the teams, you know, they can just run autonomously without without that sort of Dave Lang head poking in. And fucking everything up, as you say. <laughs> yeah, hopefully Dave, when I, are, if I get, I say hopefully if I ever get rescued from the island, I, when I come back, like the company's still there, and there's a fat check just waiting for me in the bank. Hopefully, <laughs> not that you're ever escaping, but I do hope that's the case. If so, but we're, we're gonna make <laughs> we're gonna make sure you don't escape, though. So, Dave, I think it's about time we start jumping into these eight games that you've chosen, then. Because you have quite the eclectic and wonderful list, and I'm very intrigued to talk about them, because I some of them I have no idea about, which very rarely happens on Final Games. Um, so let's listen to some music from the first game, 
And let's, of course, dive straight into it. So kicking off Dave's final games then, the eight games that he's going to take with him to the deserted place in which we'll talk about a little later, um, kicking off the first game is a, a series I really like as well, a, a sort of indie darling that came out of nowhere on Xbox Live a few years ago based around a Flash game that had appeared on PCs a couple of years prior and just sort of blew up um, in the early sort of... 2008, I think 2009 when the first game got released on Xbox Live. But um, that sounds about yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, it was around then. Uh, this game is developed by Red Links uh, and sort of in tandem with Ubisoft. I think it's Ubisoft Shanghai and um, some of Ubisoft's other studios. It's of course published by Ubisoft. It released for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC back in 2014. Actually, it was quite an early game in this generation cycle. It's a platform racing video game, although racing is kind of a unique word for this <laughs> game, right. although it does it does require the use of motorcycles or motocross bikes, if you will. It sold uh, gangbusters for being an indie title. It is Trials Fusion. Dave. Yes, it is. Why are you taking Trials Fusion with you? So, like, I'm, I think one there's going to be a couple themes running through my game list, okay? Okay. And one, of, one of them is I'm kind of fascinated with the notion of video game mastery, right? Of, like, becoming so good at something, so second nature, that, like, um, what was previously impossible to do and very complex is now really easy to do, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and like, like, Trials is a great game. It's, you know, so Fusion is not the hardest game in the series, like, the, pr the previous game was probably a lot harder, but um, basically, if you've never seen Trials Fusion, it's essentially like really physics-y simulation game uh, where you're trying to like race over ramps and over pits and up impossible climbs, and you control like the pitch of your bike and yeah. the, you know exactly how much like the very um, analog trigger stuff for figuring out acceleration and brakes, and it's super super touchy controls, and because it's so touchy and it's so physics-y you can really be creative in how you play the game and how you get over around some of these obstacles. And um, I love the notion of trials that like the first time you try a map, you're, you're it's going to beat your ass and you're going to have no idea what to do. And then like an hour later, you can breeze through it on your first time because you just got better at the game and you figured it out, right? The and, muscle memory kicks in and you sort of know exactly how much pitch is needed and how much gas is needed, that sort of yeah. stuff. And then even if, then when you get through it, then there's other criteria. There's like, 
oh, how many restarts did you do? And how fast did you get it in? Like, you know, the bronze, silver, gold, platinum medals, right? And so yeah. what, once you get through it, that's not enough. Eventually you have to get through it with some impossibly fast time without crashing once, right? To get that platinum medal. And so I really love Trials because every time I go back to Trials, I, I like... I still have so many maps I've never even finished, let alone like gold medaled or whatever, right? Yeah. And so thinking of games I love in a desert island context, uh, I could play this game for a very, very long time and never quote unquote finish it. Um, and then above and beyond that, there's all the, you can create your own tracks with the tools in the game. Uh, you can you download tracks uh, that other users have made. Like an infinite amount of content basically is available for this thing. And because of that, like that was this was the first game that popped in my head when I was thinking, okay, what would I want for like my my would my like number one desert island go to thing be? Trials Fusion was the first thing that popped in my head. So tell me why Trials Fusion? Because I was a big fan of Trials HD, and then when Trials Evolution came out, I didn't like it. It was kind of buggy. The physics seemed a little whack compared to Trials HD. I didn't give Fusion too much of a go because I was felt I felt a little burnt out by Evolution. So. Did, were you a fan of Evolution? Did yeah? Did... So, I, so I, I I totally know exactly what you're saying. Like compared to when they launched, uh, Evolution was probably underbaked compared to HD for sure. And yeah, I think Fu I think Fusion is probably the same way. Like Fusion was probably even in worse shape when it launched than Evolution. Like it, it like there's frame rate drops when it launched, which is like kind of inexcusable for a game like that. Like really precision controls. Like it has to be a rock solid sixty. Uh, or the, it just doesn't work, right? And shipping with like you know dips in the frame rate is pretty bad for a game like that. But yeah, uh, like, like very much like Evolution Fusion eventually ironed out all those rough patches, right? As far as I can tell, anyway. Um, and so I'm with you. Like Evolution initially left me a little cold, but once I kept kind of going back to it, and they kept updating it because they're very good about like fixing it. Um, I thought about Evolution for a little bit. But then really, once I thought about like the infinite downloadable content through the user-created store stuff, uh, that kind of was what ultimately made me... Make, like Even if I liked Evolution a little bit better, I'd probably pick Fusion just for that reason. There is a lot more... I guess a lot more content and stuff like that as well. And Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I want a new Trials game. Oh, 2014 well, it, was a long time ago. I'm sure they'll... You know, they, 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 they're weird. Like, they just do really bizarre downloadable content for Fusion. Like... There's that one where you're like riding a unicorn that shoots lasers. <laughs> if you haven't checked in on Trial Fusion recently, you should go check it out because it's a trip. Like, okay. Like, it's not just like DLC maps. Like, they have like really, really, really off the wall DLC stuff they've put out there. And I've got it all. Um, and it's all goofy and fun. But like, some of it's like, wow, these guys must have been on something when they came up with this idea. <laughs> well, I kind of want. This is the thing. It's like thinking back to the amount of hours I spent on Trials HD. My uh, going back to university when that game came out for me, the the amount of wasted hours, late nights playing that game, and especially trying to beat like the 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 Xbox Live friends I had, like trying to beat their leaderboard scores, became a bit of an obsession for me. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if Evolution had it or not. I bet they did. But one thing I love in Fusion is like, they, so they have ghosts, right? So the person immediately ahead of your best time, you're racing through, you're racing their ghost through the level. Right? Oh, that would frustrate the fuck out of me. Well, no, it, it's actually like super clutch, right? Because like you can see like, 
oh, they actually, like, you know, one of the things, like, one of the, your first, like, level ups you personally have when you're playing Trials, any of the Trials games, you're trying to get the best time possible, but you don't always want to be going as fast as you possibly can, right? There's times yeah. when you want to hit a ramp at not top speed, so you land at a more optimal spot, right? Yeah, yeah. And watching a ghost that's got a better time than you can teach you stuff like that. Yeah, and watching so, how they get over certain jumps or right. landing in certain spots, as you said. Yeah, okay. And it kind so of helps like, you learn. Like one of the like one of the things I had with like evolution and HD was I just never until fusion I never really had like that bunny hopping mechanic. Do you remember the bunny hopping mechanic? Yeah. So if you're not familiar with the game, basically the game the, the bike has shocks on it, right? And so if you push down on the joystick and hold it down, it's like you're you're scrunch you're putting your weight down on the bike and the shocks get compressed. And then if you throw up uh, the stick, you stand up on the bike and it kind of like springs the shocks open and you actually catch a little air. So you can like bunny hop in place, right? Yeah, I think of it like an ollie on a skateboard is how. Yeah, it's like you're preloading this jump essentially, right? And yeah. so uh, that's essential mechanic to be able to execute like over and over and over again, very reliably to be good at this, these games. But like evolution, like watching exactly when people did it or sorry, uh, fusion watching exactly when people would bunny up. Like, I, I feel like this is the first like trials game I'm playing correctly because now I can bunny hop. Like and I, I, I thought chalk it up mostly to, uh, the ghosts and stuff like that. I look forward to picking it up again and then checking back in now and again to see what your, uh, your ghosts are like after you've spent some time on the island. Yeah, if you get it, get it on PS4, and um, <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'll friend, I'll friend you, and we can we can swap some times. Excellent, man. That sounds good. Well, it's about time I think we start talking about the place we're going to send you. Then, so let's move on to the next game and listen to some music. And of course, let's talk about the deserted place in which we're going to send you. to the next game on Dave's list then we have to start talking about the deserted place in which Dave's going to be spending a vast majority of his time now playing these games uh, but Dave we allow you the choice of where you want to go I'm okay. not that cruel so I'm, I'm giving you eight games that's pretty generous of me anyway but you know I want you to be comfortable while you're playing these games sure. so you get the choice of the deserted place in which we send you uh, with the caveat being, it has to be from video games. It has to be a place from video games. Obviously, it's going to be deserted. There's going to be no NPCs or anything. But if it has like a ecosystem, a wildlife system that has monsters and stuff like that, well, it could be a little risky. So, 
Send me to... So this is going to be... This will probably start off okay, then end poorly, depending on how long I live. Okay. So I want to go to a Halo that hasn't been destroyed yet. <laughs> with, like, with with the pretense that it might be destroyed in the future. Eventually, or the flood might get loosed again, or whatever's going to happen, right? But like... I want to I want to live on a ring world for a little bit and see what that's like. Um, I want to explore, uh, kind of walk around, see the forerunner stuff. I want to do all that business. So, yeah, that I would have more to do than just play video games on that deserted spot. <laughs> okay, we'll send you to a Halo ring world. Then we'll send you to an uh, an undestroyed one, in the hopes that for as long as you do live. Nothing happens. I mean, yeah, in I mean, Halo, it takes it takes centuries for anything to happen. So you might get lucky. Yeah, I figure these things are measured like at a glacial scale, right? So yeah, exactly. I'm I'm probably fine as long as I don't open the wrong door somewhere, and like release some bacteria or something. I'm probably yeah, fine. Yeah, the the modicum of a human life compared to the infinite galaxy species is uh, I th- I think you're probably safe. Yeah, so I'm gonna go with that. Okay, so we'll send you to a Halo, and surprisingly enough, the next game we're gonna talk about takes place in space as well. So what a perfect segue. So the next game that you're going to be taking with you is a 4X turn-based strategy. You were saying that this spot could have been a multitude of 4X games here, but this is the one you've gone with. It's developed by a company called Stardock and published by Paradox Interactive, masters of strategy games that they are, and turn-based stuff. The series is known as Galactic Civilizations, and it's a PC game that released back in 2006. This is a series I have no knowledge about and I have heard very little about. It does look interesting. It's in space. That's always cool for me. Um, But I'm super intrigued to hear about, Dave, why you've chosen Galactic Civilizations 2 Dreadlords as the next game you're taking with you. So I've got Galciv 3 is like, I I bought it when it was in early access and it might be out of early access now. I don't know. Like Galciv 3, I'm guessing is probably from what I played of it, it's a better game. But I've, I've probably only put like 10 hours in at this point, so I don't really know. So I, I didn't want to risk it, so I went back to okay. Galsiv 2. And Galsiv 2, it's very much like a very standard like 4X game, right? It's like if you're playing, if you played Civ, you know you could play Galsiv 2. But you basically start off, and one thing I really like about Galactic Civilizations 2 is it's very, uh, it, it's like the, the world in which you're playing the game is more customizable than Civilization games traditionally have been. You know, like Civ, you can pick, like, how many other uh, enemies do I have and how big is the landmass and what type is the landmass. And, like, you have a lot more control over those parameters in Gal Civ 2 than you do in most Civ games. And so the variety of games you can have is a lot different. But it basically starts off with, like, a scout ship in space by a planet. You colonize the planet. And then you're trying to, like, basically conquer as much of space as you can, right? And um, yeah. one of the really novel things about it is, you know, like in Civ game where you're doing research and it's like, oh, I made the wheel and now I can build the chariot or whatever. So the ships in, they, they do have like prefabbed uh, spaceships in Galsiv, but you can also kind of construct your own from parts. They have like, oh, start with this hull and then put an engine here and then put this thing here and da-da-da-da-da. So you can kind of like really custom purpose build like, oh, I want to build a like a long range uh, scout that, you know, it doesn't have to have any armor but I want it to be able to go further away from home base than my other ships can and stuff like that. And so a lot of freedom in how you play the game, really deep tech trees, lots of alien races to mess with of all kinds of varying like dispositions and attitudes. 
Uh, it's just, it's a really, just a really solid entry into the Forex genre. And I just, everything else being equal, I have a slight, like, uh, probably lean towards sci-fi over like history. Right. So that's probably what ultimately gave me this, the nod over like Civ six. So tell me a bit about how the game plays then in terms of what, what is it that you have to sort of manage to be able to control the galaxy? Is it more about like warfare or can you do like politics and stuff like that? Like yeah, a lot of games have sure. the different paths you can take. Yeah. All those there's, there's like a diplomacy, there's warfare, there's just, if you conquer this much of the map and hold it, you have the world, you know, so there's a lot of different um, victory conditions you can achieve. Um, I usually, uh, technology ones as well, I believe, but it's, it's very much like, you know, the like the first time you play Galsiv, you're going to, you're, you're undoubtedly going to do military, right? That's just the way you always start off playing these games. And so you'll build your first planet. You'll slowly, you know, build that planet up. And like when you're when you're building a planet up, it's kind of like building like up a town in Civ where it's like, okay, I want a library because that'll give me more scientists. And I want, yeah. you know, I need a farm because I need more population or whatever, right? Then eventually that first planet will get built up enough where you can build another uh, colonization ship, right? And maybe a, a, like a fighter to escort it around. And then you colonize another world and another world and another world. And then you, so you're managing like the first third of the game is you're just managing your little empire and trying to build it in an efficient way as possible, right? And then there's, you know, there's random things that happen, like space pirates come and raid your stuff or whatever. Uh, there's, like, events, random events that happen in the world, like a black hole opens up in the middle of space and sucks some of your ships in or whatever. All kind of normal <laughs> stuff for this. And then, But then your empire bumps into another empire, right? And then it's like, okay, is this person militaristic? Or they want peace? Or what do they want? Can I form an alliance with them? And it's kind of like, at that point, the game changes, and it's not, you're more like, you're not just internally focused on your stuff. It's more like splitting your time between, like, managing your relationships with these other civilizations you've bumped into, uh, preparing for war if you need to, plotting out how you would go about that, expanding in other directions because you can't just stop expanding. And um, it gets really, like, you know, in a, in a eventually, when you get to, like, mid to end game in Galsiv, one turn can take a really long time because you've got fleets of ships you want to move around the map. Uh, you've got a bunch of choices you got to make about like technologies you want to research or conversations you want to have with other leaders. Do you want to send spies in? Uh, how do you want to build and spec each planet? Um, just a bunch of things like that. And so like one turn in Galsif 2 can take a really long time once you get to like mid and end. And I kind of like that. Like I like, I like laboring over all these little choices that probably don't matter that much, but like the, the sum total of them you hope do. Yeah. They feel, they feel like because you're making sort of minute decisions and a lot of them, you're making maybe a more of a, a decisive impact upon what's going to happen. Yeah. Like it's not just yes or no. Do you want peace? Yes. Let's right. not fight more like, okay, well, if I pull back these things from here and I do this, it will have like an effect on the AI that do this kind of thing. Yeah. It, and, it feels like there's, it feels like there's like basically like the, the game does a good job of tricking you into thinking that there's basically like infinite possibilities along the spectrum. Right. When reality okay. there's not, but it does a good job of tricking you. Into that. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to a deserted place, you know, you're going to be on the halo. You're, you've got all the time in the world to make these decisions. Yeah. It's like the, I was going to like, I wanted one strategy game on here. For sure. And like one of the reasons like I wanted StarCraft 2 before I cut it 
it was like I mentioned before, like I love the concept of mastery, right? And uh, I've I used to really be into Warcraft three. Um, like I'd play yeah. Warcraft three every day at lunch, and when I get home, I would play it. And I got pretty good at Warcraft three, and then you know Starcraft two, I got into that, but I never really played Starcraft two because I like now too busy. But I would love, love, love to like dive into like something competitive like that again and just learn it, right? Because I think like half a mastery is execution and half is just like completely understanding the rule sets and what it is. And like I'm an old guy. I'm never gonna have like execution <laughs> advantage. But like if I understand exactly how the world works and and what all the units do and when they're best used together and all this stuff, uh then it could give me an advantage I need. But ultimately I went away from StarCraft just because it's like, yeah, who knows when Blizzard's gonna turn those servers off, you know? That's uh, true. Yeah. Galsiv 2 will run forever. And I mean, there is there is some sort of aspect to having the deserted island to have the time to be able to master games like StarCraft. But you, I've never really thought about the whole switching the servers off. And yeah. oh, there there we go. There's one of my choices gone forever. Right. Like my initial the initial game I was going to pick. I'm like, well, PUBG has to be on this list. But I'm like, well, wait, does it? Like, what if no one's playing PUBG in two years because they're playing PUBG 2 or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> and also, what, what, what will my ping times be from the Halo? Probably not very good, right? So I don't know. Does the G rate, I mean, the Halo is pretty technologically advanced. Maybe maybe it's so advanced that you're actually playing in the future and you're the cheater. Oh, whatever. It's You got to tell me these things ahead of time, Liam. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you so, have to sort of do do some thinking, you know? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I this mean, one, I, d- I don't I'll know what's going to be one. on Halo. You're taking the <laughs> risk here. <laughs> I'll take the hit on this one. It's fine. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to your next game now, which is sort of a game I've never even heard of until this time, which I feel bad about. But um, I don't think many people have. It's no, like, I don't think yeah. so. Uh, it's f- maybe for various reasons, but it's on your list, so there must be something special about it. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game? And let's, of course, dive straight into it. Jumping into the next game on Dave's list, then. As we were saying, I, I, I have never really heard about this game. It was an early uh, arcade game for the Xbox Live Arcade. Uh, it, it's sort of described as a psychedelic uh, Twitch shooter or something. Um, right. it's, it's sort of that typical multi-directional shoot-em-up. It was developed by a company called Pom Pom Games. And it released back on the Xbox 360 in 2005. So very early on. 
in the Xbox 360's live, and especially the uh, Xbox Live Arcade. So maybe, maybe it was one of the first games on there. Um, it was only uh, ten dollars, eight hundred Microsoft points. If you remember those things, Spacebox. Yeah. So Dave, wh- what the hell? What's what's this all about? Um. Yeah. So Mutant Storm Reloaded is a game I I love for a lot of reasons, and but again, it's files under the like the mastery theme, right? So it's a twin stick shooter, but one of the things that's super cool about it is like, okay, so like originally I was like, okay, Geometry Wars 2 has to be on this list, right? Because like how much Geometry Wars 2 is ever played? But then like what I kind of realized is like, I'm just going to get worse at Geometry Wars 2 as I get older. Like I'm not going to get better. It'll probably get more frustrating. But Mutant Storm um, Reloaded had this mechanic that's really, really cool. So, when you start a run in Mutant Storm Reloaded, you could like pick a difficulty. And so the difficulty was based on like it was like a um a karate theme to it. So like you picked like white belt, yellow belt, orange belt, red belt, all the way up to black belt, right? And so you could start it um on any of these difficulties. And I think every time you died, you could change the difficulty again if you wanted to. So like okay. you start off on a white belt, and you could probably see the entire game on a white belt, right? You get to see all the bosses. You get to see how all the fights work. You get to see the patterns. You get to do all this stuff. And then you crank up the difficulty a little bit. And it's like a brand new game, right? It's like the 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 enemies are different. And now they have different shooting patterns. And there's more of them. And there's this and there's this and there's this. And like I played it on Black Belt once. And I'm like, no human could possibly beat that game, right? It's impossible. But sure <laughs> enough, like there, there's you can find YouTube videos of people doing it, right? So like the notion of like having this twin stick shooter that I could master over a very long period of time and uh, just have fun experimenting with the different uh, difficulties and the the way all the things play out uh, in this context was very appealing to me. So it's kind of like judo belts almost. Yeah, correct. So you just, you become more and more of a a master, a a mutant storm belt holder. So what is the highest rank you've got to so far? I don't remember right now. It's actually so like this is the this is the game on the list. I have it's been the longest since I played it. Um I have not there's a so there's also a version of this I saw pop up on Steam but I haven't bought it yet. So it's not the same game but it's like a new Mutant Storm game. And I I want to check it out but I haven't checked it out yet. So I I haven't played this game in probably over a decade. Um but I so I don't remember but I did not get very far. I think I made like three belts in and I finished the game three belts in or something like that. And then but I it, tried the next belt. it stuck with you for this long then? It must be I, pretty I, special. Yeah, no, I love... So uh, it's also got a really weird look to it and it's just like everything about it is kind of charming. And uh, like the like, it's one of those things like you, you tell yourself, it's like one day I'm going to beat this fucking game on Black Belt. Like, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to do it. Like one day... When I get like a sabbatical from some job and I have a month off of work, I'm not going to do anything but play Mutant Storm Reload. I'm going to break out my 360 and I'm just going to do that. Like those are the things you tell yourself when you're when you're a dummy. And that's one of the things I've done. And as I just, I've never had that moment in my life to do it. So I'm looking at this, this being stranded on Halo number six as an opportunity to, to do so. So do you, do you, do you think you, you, you'll make it? Do you think you'll get that black belt? I don't think so. I think I have like a, I I have a, I have a glass ceiling on any Twitch based games just based on so like based on my age, right? And even in my prime, I wasn't 
I wasn't that great at them. Like, um, I didn't grow up playing Robotron or stuff like that. So like, I just like, I don't think I would ever get the black belt, but Liam, I want to try. I want to find out. I want to find out how (laughs) I want to push myself to see how good I can be. I sincerely hope you can do it. You know what? I guess in this context, I hope, I hope in this context of being stranded forever somewhere, I hope I don't get black belt ever. Right. Really? Cause if I ever, yeah, because if I ever get black belt, then I'm kind of done with the game. Uh, I get, I guess, yeah. I mean, I can always be like, true. oh, now do it, now do it with a better time or whatever, right? But like, yeah. So in this kind, of, like, I think part of the reason I picked this game is because like, part of me knows I'll never beat black belt. You know, deep down in places I don't like to talk about. <laughs> and that's that's deep that, that, deep in the yeah. pits deep in the yeah, pits of right, the human right, soul yeah right next to that uh bad sandwich i just ate for dinner um right next to that <laughs> and i think like part of like having these these games that are unfinishable in this context is very appealing to me i'm looking forward to making a visit to the halo and um seeing all these trials ghosts uh yeah. moving their way through and uh also you know, checking out the the belt you're at. The, there's definitely some. There's like a progression. We're we're seeing like a progression. You're not going there to just play eight games. You've got like a whole a whole thing figured out. Yeah, I, it's, it's kind of it's kind of how I am, sadly, for better and for worse. It's good. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so we're going to move on to the next game now, which is sort of we're taking a step back from the competitive nature of things. We're we're we're, we're coming back a little bit. And we're, we're going deep into typical lore, story-driven content. I'm very intrigued to know why you chose this game. It's a, pretty much one of the, the RPG giants of the, uh, the PC sort of era. So let's listen to some wonderful music from this next game. And let's, of course, dive straight into it. So jumping into the next game then, Dave, we're, we're taking a bit of a step back from the competitive nature of stuff like that and going a bit more maybe so the, the galactic civilization 2 route here with uh, right. more story-driven stuff and progression as a character, not as a human player, perhaps. Um, so the next game is a game developed by Bioware. It was published by the very famous RPG publishers back in the day, Black Isle Studios, part of Interplay. Uh, it released in 2000 on Windows and also a year later for Mac users. It's the uh, sequel to one of the uh, big RPGs of the early two, uh, the the late 90s, actually, 1998. It's a role-playing video game. It's, of course, 
Baldur's Gate 2. Dun, dun, Dave, yeah. What? I mean, a lot of people would be like, ah, yeah, of course. Of course. But why are you specifically taking Baldur's Gate 2? So the... I, I knew I wanted one of the Infinity Engine games on my list. Like, I wanted this or Icewind Dale 2 on my list for sure. Like, the the impact that series of games had on me as a person um, is, is really hard to kind of overstate. Like, I, I, would, I religiously played every single one of those games. Um, I thought they were impossibly well-crafted. Um, interesting and, in like, in different ways, too. Like, I think if you think of Baldur's Gate compared to, like, Icewind Dale... So Baldur, so I guess if you've never heard of Baldur's Gate or Baldur's Gate 2, you kind of roll a character like a traditional role-playing game, and you start off on this adventure. And you, you build a party from NPCs who, in combat, you have, like, direct control over, but you don't have, like, complete control over them. They have their own kind of agendas and their own, like, things they want to do. And, like, a good example of this is, like, you know, it's D&D rules, and so, like, uh, Jahira, I think it was, like a, like, a neutral good character. Right. And yeah, uh, she was like this druid, a female druid elf, uh, if I remember right. And just kind of like all around awesome person and really cool to have in your party. But then you could also pick up like uh, like chaotic evil characters. Right. I think there was this one dwarf fighter who was chaotic evil. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. And then like they would like when you're just like walking around the world, they would get into fights with each other and talk to each other. Right. And then eventually they might fight and one of them might die. Like, and you have no control over any of that happening. They might, one of them might say, screw this. I've had enough of this. I'm leaving this party and just like disappear forever. It's like, well, no, you've got, and they walk away with all the armor you gave them too and all the shields and stuff, right? So like, oh no, you have all the best stuff. Come back. And but no, she's gone forever. <laughs> Jahira's gone. And so like, it, it, like that part to me was super, super novel. There's also a really wide array of uh, NPCs you can pull into your party. And the notion of like, trying out a lot of the different combinations, seeing what happens, you know, playing once as a thief and playing once as a fighter and playing once as a mage and building the the party around me in a bunch of different ways and just seeing how the different fights go, seeing how they interact. There's also stuff in those games that, like, you get different dialogue depending who's in your party, right? And so, you know, none of this stuff changes the game a ton, but it's super novel and I always found it super intriguing. Uh, the rest of the game is just, like, the story and the voice acting is amazing, like it's a like it's really 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 well done. There's a twist I'm not going to spoil about you know 75 percent through the game that blows your freaking mind. Uh, you got to check that out. And so it's like the that also you might not ever see depending on how you built your party, right? Like yeah. They built all this content and stuff in here, and conceivably you might not ever see this like crucial plot point, right? So the world's really big. Exploring is super fun. The combat is super deep. Like. So the combat plays out in real time. At any time, you can hit spacebar to pause the game and issue orders to people. Um, it is, uh, it's basically a near-perfect RPG, in my opinion. Um, it had huge enemies. Like, for years, people were bugging Bioware and uh, Black Isle. We need dragons in these games. We need big dragons or whatever, right? And Bioware kept saying, we can't. The engine doesn't support enemies that big. It's too hard. We can't do it. Da, 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 da. Baldur's Gate 2 has huge-ass dragons, right? And so it's like uh, you end up with these epic quests fighting huge monsters and just really, really cool. It's also super, super long, right? 
I think my playthrough, yeah. my first my first playthrough of Baldur's Gate 2 was like 100 hours or something, right? So, um... It's a giant kinda, RPG. It's, a, you know, it's what you would expect. It's a giant RPG. Yeah, it kind of ticks all the boxes needed for my Desert Island experience there. Like, very repeatable, uh, very long, super entertaining, and uh, endlessly kind of malleable. How do you feel about sort of newer games that follow this path like Baldur's Gate 2 like stuff like Pillars of Eternity or Divinity uh Original Sin and uh do you get on with those games have you tried those games what is it about Baldur's Gate 2 and the Infinity Engine that sort of stands out maybe above those games well it's strictly that I had time to finish those back then <laughs> and uh <laughs> and, I, and I know definitively like I've, I've just started Divinity 2 um I never played like I played like three hours of Divinity 1 and they got sidetracked doing something I played like 10 hours of Pillars of Eternity and I loved the time I spent with those things. And so far, like I'm still on the first boat in Divinity 2 or whatever and I'm digging that. But like the odds of me finishing a 100-hour RPG are almost zero, right? Like just given, uh, like just I have three kids and a wife yeah, and I run a company and I travel all the fucking time. And like it's just, it's like <laughs> never going to happen, right? So um, I think those games probably like in a, in a, in a different life, I would be spending a lot of time playing those games and loving them. Uh, but Baldur's Gate 2 is just like, it's that one I know. Like, I know that one's not going to let me down. We need like a, we need these RPGs to go, to be on the Switch and to have like a USB keyboard and mouse setup. So when you travel, you can have like a little Switch RPG that has like a little mouse and keyboard. That that would be great. Yeah. The, uh, we just, we just, our my company just got done porting, Skyrim to the Switch, and yeah, you we guys got are that doing on that, there. You can't yeah. tell me, yeah, like you can't tell me like Divinity can't run on that thing if we can get Skyrim working on that thing. So let's do it. Make it happen, Nintendo. <laughs> there you go. What what is the Belgium studio called? I can't remember what they're called. They're I don't Belgium. remember either. Yeah, yeah. They need to get in contact with Iron Galaxy, and you guys can put it over to the Switch. Make it happen. Like there you go. That might, that might be a way I actually play that thing because like I'm on, I'm in planes probably. 100 hours a year at least probably and if i just take my switch with me i could play a 100 hour game just on the plane i'd get that done yeah so there you go there you go there's the next project the next project's in the work that studio they need to contact you and also give me a cut of the money for the idea because of course why not yeah yeah sure <laughs> here's your five percent liam good job thank you yay i can eat this week <laughs> <laughs> how novel <laughs> well we're going to move on to the next game now and we're sort of i don't know what to say about the next one i guess we're, we we already know where it takes place because you're there you're being sent to a halo so we're going to jump into the next game i wonder what it will be <laughs> dun, dun, dun. some wonderful music from this next game of course just stands the test of time so let's move on to the next game let's of course dive straight into it
So, Dave. Yes. I mean, this game needs no further introduction after listening to the music. And you're also being sent to a Halo sort of ring world, one of the big structures in the sky. This game was developed by Bungie and published by Microsoft Game Studios at around the time you were working there, correct? Like, Yeah, like, I, I got a really weird story about Bungie and me. Uh, that we'll get into here once you once you start once you finish the the intro. I'll oh, go and get excellent! Into well, I mean, let's let's just dive straight into it. This game was released in two thousand and one, and has been ported and has like anniversary editions. It's Halo. I want to hear the story. Okay, so I was at Salt Lake. I was at um, Sculptured and Kodiak out there. This is like before I got to Microsoft, and I really liked the Myth games. Like, I thought the the Myth, which is the previous kind of like um, turn based strategy or like real time strategy games. That Bungie did, but they had a really strong narrative element to them. They're like really, really well crafted, really put, yeah, really put like together. People obviously associate Bungie with, well, they associate Bungie with Halo and Destiny now. But before that, they were big sort of PC guys. They did the Myth, yeah. Well, they're pretty, like, uh, you know, like they're they're more known for like being great Mac developers. Like they they were the ones that yeah, that was like it. Yeah. About, yeah, 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 yeah. Like because it like, was uh, the whole Apple thing, wasn't it, back in the day? Yeah, Halo yeah. was announced at <laughs> Macworld, I think, the very first time it was announced. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but the uh, but so I really liked those games, and then when uh, people started talking about Halo and hearing about it, I fell deep, deep, deep into Bungie fandom. Like there was this, I mean, it might still be there for all I know. There was a, a Halo Halo Bungie.org was the website at the time. I don't even know if it's still up or not, but HBO everyone called it for short. And it was like the preeminent site for like Bungie uh, discussion, either about the fiction of their games or about what they're working on next or about rumors about it or whatever. It was just like the most passionate Bungie fans in the world hung out at HBO and, and I did too. And I mostly lurked and I would occasionally post or whatever. And I just fell deep, deep, deep into this, this love of Halo. And I decided to like, you know what? I eventually know I want to go back to Chicago because we're going to have a family one day. Bungie's in Chicago. They're pretty much the only developer I want to work for in Chicago. Like, I'm going to apply at Bungie. And so I applied there, and then I did a bunch of, they had this really cool uh, and very difficult programming test they sent you. And I must have done okay on that because I had some follow-up interviews. And I knew about Halo, but I wasn't, I knew about Halo and Oni were both announced, but not out yeah. yet. And they were doing, they had a third game team that was in the prototype phase. It was called Project Phoenix. And nobody knew much about it. Uh, I was thinking Phoenix, maybe it's myth-related, maybe it's not, you know, like with that code name or whatever, who knows. Um, and I, I did a bunch of phone interviews and talking about that stuff. And then they went dark for nine months. Um, like I felt like we were making pretty good progress. And I, in, in, the, in the interim, I'd, like, started my next project at work, and I wasn't going to leave halfway through the project. But then, like, the announcement comes that they got bought by Microsoft, and they're moving to Redmond, and they're doing all this stuff. And then a little bit after that, they called me back to like, yeah, sorry, we went dark on you, but like, we didn't want to hire anybody and then move them to Redmond immediately, right? We wanted uh, to like, okay, yeah. We wanted to be able to talk about everything in an open way, and we didn't want to like, we just couldn't do anything at the time until this this whole thing was done, and we were in Redmond. I'm like, okay, that's cool, but like, I can't come now, and part of the reason I wanted to come was Chicago, but it didn't work. But regardless, I was still like knee deep in Bungie fandom, right? And then do you do you have a little bit of regret for not taking that jump, or are you happy with the way things panned out, or would you have liked to have taken that step towards Bungie? I want I don't so I don't 
it's kind of a cop out. Like I, I, it's hard to imagine I have a better life if I went to Bungie, right? Like yeah. things, things, things turned out pretty cool for me as it is. So <laughs> definitely it's, so. it's hard to imagine things ended up better for me. So I don't want to say like I have a regret or whatever, but I do want to see the alternate universe where that happened and what, how, how I ended up in that alternate universe. Right. Would you like, have been okay working on a game like destiny? Oh, sure. I, I love destiny one. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, Destiny 2, I, I kind of bounced off of with the raid. Um, the raid really rubbed me the wrong way, and I kind of bounced off of it. But, like, the I played a mess out of Destiny 1. and uh, But anyway, yeah, so I was, like, deeply in love with uh, Bungie and all the games they do. And then Halo comes out, and it affected me. Like, I don't I have zero tattoos, right? If okay. I was going to get a tattoo, it would be a Halo tattoo. Right? Wow. Like, like. I was so into like the world and the realm and just like the, like the world building Bungie did on Halo one. They did world building in Halo one in a way they haven't done in a game since. Right. And um, like, I can just like walk around and stare at like the glyphs on the walls and try to decode like the forerunner stuff. Right. Like just like going from one thing to another and figuring out like, like how did this, like, what does this mean that this thing is here and this thing is here and this thing is here. And it's probably there because the level designer decided you needed some cover for this encounter. Right. But like, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was so invested in everything they were doing and the world they were building and the flood and the forerunner and guilty spark and all this stuff that I played through that campaign probably on the order of like 15 to 20 times. Right. Like just soaking up different things and doing different yeah. missions and doing legendary runs and all that stuff. And on top of that, like above and beyond that, the gameplay is awesome. Right. And uh, you know, you could, it's so like, I think this is kind of an aberration on my list. Like I think everything else on this list, you could argue, you know, maybe Baldur's Gate two, you might not, but it's so long as kind it of, it has some long-term edge. value, uh, but, a lot of it, but, but yeah, but Halo it, one is like, if not infinitely replayable, cause you know, it only had land play. Right. And, uh, well, it the depends if the you story. take the anniversary edition. Ooh, I didn't think about that. I did not think about that. Do I that want the anniversary? Everything. You know what? Give me the anniversary edition. Lock it okay. in. Thank you, Liam. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I, I just I have a lot of uh, deep fond memories of like, you know, going through a level, and and like you know playing the Guilty Spark level and getting like my mind blown about the flood thing and going to the library and all that stuff and then going to HBO and reading about what other people's experiences were and reading their interpretations of them. And it's definitely the deepest I've ever been into any video game fandom by far. And uh, a lot of fond memories of that. And I think that kind of nostalgia uh, is what originally put on the list. But now that you mentioned Anniversary Edition, uh, yeah, I don't need to I don't need to compromise. I can have it all. So let's you can, go. You can. You can. Yeah. I mean, I, I want the island to be comfortable. I want it to be good for you. So there you go. Yeah, we're, we're locked in. How have you now- felt... How have you felt about the Halo series in general, like progressing on from Bungie to moving on to uh, 343 Studios and, you know, Halo 4 and Halo 5? Um, yeah. How I have think, you like, felt? I, I, I don't love it the same way I used to. Um, I think, like, I, like, so I stopped, like, I, I didn't hate the end of Halo 2 like everyone else hates the end of Halo 2. Uh, for me, it's like, okay, like it sucks that they ran out of time, they couldn't finish it or whatever, but it was still a really cool game. Halo 3 is actually the one where I started to like 
not be in love with Halo anymore. Because um, it felt like it was more about like I could like this might not be true, but it felt like it was less about the world they were building and the story they were telling, and more about like oh let's make multiplayer cool or whatever, right? Yeah. Like the, like the focus just kind of changed in a way that it, it just was not what I loved about original Halo. I still love Halo Three and I played the mess out of it and I played a crap ton of it online. And like, you know, I love that you could make your videos and have your online clips and all that stuff. And like, it was a great offering. I played Reach and I played ODST. And I think ODST is probably like of the modern Halos. I think ODST is probably my favorite one. Uh, okay, because Reach is, Reach is my personal favorite. Reach is great too. Um, like, it's hard to argue with Reach. But like, ODST was like different enough for me. Uh, it was also, I remember like, kind of like the first time they had like those horde modes in halo. And like, I played the mess out of those when I, with my friends and stuff like that. So like for all of the modern ones, ODST is probably my favorite. And then four and five, which were, you know, modern three, four, three. I think they are very good games. I think I played a lot of, uh, I can't remember the, the multiplayer mode in five that everyone complains about. Cause the cards and stuff, what's that called? Do you remember? Oh God. I'm, I don't. I didn't even play Halo Five. Yeah. So Five has this. It had a team-based multiplayer mode. I think it was like it was like a really big team. I think it might have been twelve on twelve, maybe. maybe oh, it was like a big eight. team battle or something, and they had so giant it, maps, didn't they? Yeah. So it was like it was what big team battle became in Five, but they had like it's so like to get like a what people hated about it was like as you played you you had got card drops right, and your card drop is like a weapon, and you can. If you play that card when you start the game, you start with that weapon, right? So, oh, I can start with a rocket launcher. Cool. Or it might be a ghost. Oh, so now I can drive a ghost around this map or whatever. And people, I understand why people didn't like it. It never really bugged me. and But I thought, like, the, the maps were really well done and the game was really fun. But, like, again, like, I'm talking about, like, multiplayer stuff here. And the reason I loved Halo 1 so, so much is because of the story and the world building. And I just don't think they, I don't think... Bungie or 343 ever recaptured that magic, right? So, um, yeah, so for me, it's Halo 1 is, like, kind of, it's the one I want to play again. And all the, like, if you told me, sorry, Dave, you could never play 2, 3, ODST, Reach, 4, 5 ever again, i say, oh, okay. That's, you know, not the end of the world. That's a bummer, but it's not the end of the world. If you tell me, like, I can't uh, show my kids Halo 1 in a few years, like, we're, we're boxing, like we're having a fight, right? <laughs> like, like we're we're going to war. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, you can take Halo, and I mean, I don't know how. I imagine there's still quite a lot of people playing the anniversary edition, uh, but it, it does run the risk of the servers being turned off one day. I imagine, considering you went in with the, uh, but it's also the got notion like of. Yeah, but it's also got it's got there's more than just that in there too. It's still like a better idea. Like I like I love your idea. It's a it's a brilliant idea. And you can switch it between the 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 brand new HD graphics and the classic one all the time. So yeah. however you how however you feel wake waking up on which side of the bed that day, you can uh, change the graphics too. Like I could I could spend I figure out like it's not like would I? It's how many days when I'm stranded on Halo Six or whatever. How many days do I spend? Just flipping the warthog with rockets and my and grenades and stuff, you know. <laughs> how many, how many insane, how many insane uh, stunts do I set up using grenades with, in the warthog in Halo One? You know, 
That's like that's that's where I'm at. That's where my head's at with this. Didn't did anniversary edition come with like the Forge World stuff? I think it did. Obviously, Halo one Halo one didn't. But yeah, I don't. I don't I, remember to be honest with you. I, I I didn't really play a lot. Like when I want to play Halo, so I bought Anniversary Edition, and then oh, that's right. So when it launched, it launched completely borked. Remember that? Like the, all, wait, none of the that, online stuff that, worked. Wait, was that the Anniversary Edition or was that the Halo Master Chief Collection? Oh, you're right. So that's Master. Oh Chief no, Collection. it was the it was, Halo Anniversary was like the standalone one that came out. I think it was 2012, and then no, yeah. Maybe. Okay, so I never played that. So I played the Master Chief Collection then. Yeah, so the Anniversary Edition was the standalone one for the Xbox 360. Uh, and then the Master Chief Collection included the Anniversary Edition, but also Halo 2 and 3. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that, it was the that's Master Chief. The, it was the Master Chief Collection that was balked. It was, like, absolutely well and truly fucked. Um, but the Anniversary Edition, I think, was fine. So you can take the Anniversary Edition and have no problems. Yay! Thank you for You'll looking be, out for me. Thank you for looking out for me. It's good, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm deserting, you know, stranding you to a desert island, but, you know, I'm still kind. I'm still You're good. a benevolent dictator. I am. I am indeed. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to the next game then. And um, the next game is, I have I have no idea. I honestly haven't got a clue. Uh, I know it was published by the, the evil corporation of Zynga. So it was the, actually put out, it was put out before Zynga. Okay. And then, and then Zynga bought this company. Ah, okay. So yeah. God, we haven't heard about Zynga in a long time. They were like they were like EA of the day back in the day. Everyone hated Zynga. That was funny. Um, but let's listen to some music from this next game. And let's It's great course... music. It's so good. Oh right. That's even better. Let's let's listen to some good music then. And let's of course dive straight into it. So the sixth game on Dave's list then is a puzzle game that you can play on iOS. Uh, it was developed by a company called Area Code Entertainment, and uh, they later became Zynga New York. Uh, so this game was published by Zynga now and designed by a guy called Frank Lance. It released back in 2009, uh, and it sort of is one of those, what do, I can't remember what we call them, the 7x7 the seven seven square games. Uh, right. Drop three threes is on there, and uh, there are many other clones of it. But this one is called Drop Seven, and I've never yeah. heard of this game. So, Dave, so, take it yeah. away. This game has the distinction of being by far and away the game I've played the most of in my entire life. Um, okay, this this is not accurate, but it'll get your mind right for thinking about 
how I'm describing this game, okay? So the uh, think of this, it's like Tetris meets Sudoku. Okay. Okay. So now that's now you're gonna understand that's not correct when I'm done, but it'll get your mind thinking about it right. So the um there's a bunch of different kind of blocks that can drop on, right? And the there's gray blocks that you don't have a number revealed on them. And then there is a um there's numbered blocks, like one through seven or whatever, right? And so what you want to do is you want to get the number, so like, so say it's like this. So say there's there's rows and columns. Let's just look at like a. Let's think about one column for a minute. Okay, so you've got you've got no bricks on the board, but you drop a three on the bottom row, right? And then after after a couple number of turns, the bottom row, very much like Tetris, but instead of like, um, you know, stuff falls in from the top in Tetris, the the bottom grows up and drops seven, right? Okay. So, Oh, so a row of gray bricks comes up from the bottom and pushes everything up, right? So now you've got, if you look at one column, you've got a three brick over a gray brick, right? Then eventually another uh, row of bricks comes in. So now you've got two gray bricks and a three brick. So that's a row, that's a, that's a, that's a column of three, right? So it, what happens is the three blows up and it converts the gray brick into a number brick. Right. Okay. So so that so that works in columns and rows. So if you have like a row of three by itself, and you have a three in there, the three will blow up and it'll convert the brick into it. And you're basically trying to do it so it never ever gets to the top, right? And it's 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 really hard to describe, and it sounds probably sounds like ass, but just find like a YouTube video of it if you're curious about it or not. And the thing that's so amazing about this game is. It's like endlessly deep and interesting. And it's also, but it's also very much like you can figure out like, what are the odds I'm going to get? Like, you, like okay, my next, my next brick, I would either like a two, a four, a six, or a seven would be optimal in the situation I'm in, right? You could say, well, yeah. I'm either going to get a one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. You can figure out the odds that's going to happen. So there's a little bit like a poker element too, where you're figuring out like, what are the odds I actually get what I need next? And da, 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 da. What if I don't? What are the outcomes? And so uh, there's a bunch of modes to it. Like the quick play mode is just the one to get you going. But there's a there's a sequence mode, which is basically like the bricks always drop in the same order, right? And so you can kind of figure out the optimal order over time. But then there's hardcore mode where it's just like the, the floor grows really fast and you have to be really quick at knocking out gray bricks and turning gray bricks into numbered bricks, et cetera. Um, it is it's it sounds really simple, but it is like super super deep and amazingly amazingly well crafted, and uh, I highly recommend it to anyone with an iOS device. Like again, I can't. I played this game more than I played any other game. Like I get on a plane and I open up Drop Seven, and next thing you know, like I've landed in San Francisco four hours later. Right. So <laughs> it is, it is a stunningly uh, it's a really really simple but really amazing puzzle game. Does it does it get updated still, or is it kind of like that's it now? It's like out there, and you'll eventually play through all of it in some way, or is it like randomly generated? So yeah, so it, it's like Tetris where you could play it again and again and again. Um, like, oh, okay. Yeah. So there yeah. is like, is there like a certain difficulty to it? To the, I mean, with yeah, Tetris, so it's obviously getting about the high score, but so the difficulty comes in the modes you pick. Like you mentioned, like there's that quick one, which is like super casual and a good way. Oh, to learn okay, the game. okay, yeah, and yeah. then. Um, but like, so it, it, every update sadly makes the game worse. Uh, 
Ah. Like orig originally when Zynga bought, so I bought this game before uh, Zynga had purchased Area Code. And then, you know, they put all the Zynga shit into it. And now uh, they, you know, they took all the Zynga shit out. And basically every update <laughs> makes the game worse, essentially. So, but the, the game is still the game. The game is still buried under there somewhere. And I love it very much. And, uh, and from what I understand, it actually started off as like part of an ARG of some sort. Um, and I, I met, uh, I have a designer in the studio. His name is Noah. He made super barbari ball with a team and a bunch of other cool stuff. And he works for us now. And he came from the NYU game center, which is where Frank, uh, the creator of this game worked. Yeah. He's actually, the director, right? Yeah. And he actually introduced me to Frank once. And I, I about like, I about melted down in front of him. Uh, it was, it was <laughs> bad. It was real bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have wasted so many hours of my life. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it was it was it was like half that. It was like 49% that and 51% like thank you for making plane trips tolerable. Thank you so much, Frank. <laughs> so, yeah. That's really awesome. That's really I love stories like that. So you so you think even with the successive updates uh continually going while you're on the island, you you'll still play it until the 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 twilight years on the Halo. I mean, still I, bet, I, like, I, I bet I've got, I definitely have over 500 hours into it. Woo! And, I, and I bet it's significantly more than that. Like, if I haven't stopped yet, I don't see me stopping anytime soon. So. Well, I would not want to take this away from you then, so that you can definitely take Drop 7 with you. And uh, you can continue to enjoy some Tetris Sudoku mind bending stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really cool. It's super, super cool. Everyone should check it out. I feel like if cool. everyone, I like, again, because like, unlike some of this stuff that's like, oh, I got to find an Xbox 360 or whatever. Everyone's got a phone. Like, download Drop 7, everyone. Go do it right now. It's magical. There you go. I'm going to do it too. I love hearing about game, new games to play. So I'm going to definitely pick that. And I don't play games on my phone that often. I honestly have never really seen, like, a lot of people sort of eventually gone on board with the whole playing on your phone kind of thing. I just, I don't use my phone to play games very often. There are no games I get along with that get me addicted like that. So maybe yeah. I'll have to give Drop 7 a go and see, see mean, what happens. Then I think you'll like it because I'm just like you. I don't play games on my phone either. Um, okay. That's I, like, I, I've tried. Like I've tried to buy games on my phone and play them. I just never ever play them. Yeah. Uh, but like Drop 7 is the exception. Yeah, like even Nintendo ones for me, you know, I get sucked in by the fact that it's the Nintendo style games and then even like Mario Run and Mario Jump, whatever it's called, uh, you know, just maybe lasts like a week and then uh, it sits there as an untapped icon on my phone for years yep. and don't touch them. So yep. I'll have to give it a go. But we're going to move on. And we're going to move on to, well, I guess you can play this game on phones or iPads as well. It's good for travel, I've heard, playing this yeah. game a lot. Uh, I originally played this game on it on PC, like I think a lot of people did. Uh, it sold gangbusters as well and was one of the Smash indie hits back in 2012. It blew up. It's a roguelike game. But it's got some wonderful music too. So let's listen to some music from the second to last game on Dave's list. And let's, of course... Dive straight into it.
So jumping into the second to last game on Dave's list then. And this game, you can also, as I said, play on iOS devices. It was released on iOS devices back in 2014. Uh, but two years prior to that, it came out on PC and just blew up. It's a top-down roguelike game that takes place in space where you sort of simulate controlling a ship. Uh, you know, you have a crew and you have to fight and evade hostile other forces while all the way progressing your way through space. It was originally a Kickstarter and it was developed by Subset Games. And it's just one of the, uh, I don't know, standards for roguelikes. Like whenever you talk about roguelikes or successful indie games, this is one of the names that comes up all of the time. And for good reason. It's FTL, Faster Than Light. Dave, does, uh, second to last game. Second yeah, to does, last game. Does this game get picked a lot? I imagine this game gets picked a lot. It's been picked a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to like about this game, especially in stranded on Halo number six context, right? Like, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned it's a road like you can play it again and again and again. Um, there's a lot of stuff to unlock. Uh, it is, it is unlike some, like, it seems at first like it's kind of the sleepy little management game, right? Like, y yeah. You're, you're clicking on things and you're charging this thing up and then the fight happens and, what was the outcome or whatever, but there's actually like a really high skill ceiling to the gameplay. That's not prevalent at first. Like, you know, managing, uh, juggling people in the ship and what station they're manning. Like, should they be on weapons or shields right now? Uh, juggling like the energy on your different systems to make sure you have the right number of weapons up or whatever. Um, even just making sure things are shooting at the right time. So like, Oh, you want to shoot for this, this shot will take their shields down. And then the second I see their shields are down, I know I have like a half second window to get this missile off or whatever it is. Uh, Cause then that'll, that'll take out some other ship. Right. And so there's, there's this intense strategy to it. And there's also a fair degree of understanding how combat works and execution to the combat. And then again, just a lot of randomness, a lot of good old RNG that maybe despite your best efforts and your best planning, things just kind of don't go the way you want. And your whole crew is jettisoned out into space and you have to start another run. So it's uh, really cool. The writing is really funny. Um, the music is, like you mentioned, is fantastic. The music is uh, uh, like best in class music. Um, they put an expansion out, like a free expansion, and it added a bunch of new kind of like events that happen, uh, new kind of like side quests you can do if you want to for other stuff. Um, really, really, really cool. And um, I've been playing this game a lot and I still stink at it. Like, <laughs> if you watch, you can see tw you can see Twitch streams of people that can like regularly beat this game on the hardest difficulty, and like I can't regularly beat it on like easy, right? So, I figure um, this game's not gonna get old for me for a while. I'm gonna be able to play it again and again and again, like I have been, and uh, it's just adorable. And I kind of adore. I love everything about it. So tell me about a lot of the times when we play roguelikes and stuff like that. Everyone has like various stories or situations of stuff that happened like oh my god i was playing this one time and these pirates came out of nowhere and i was like scrambling i had this crew together and that kind of thing do you have like a, a strong ftl memory like a time where maybe you got the furthest or something crazy or wacky happened yeah so it was the first time so uh you start off with there's a bunch of different ships you can pick from once you unlock them all and they all have various strengths and weaknesses but above me on that there's stores in the world where you can, you can like 
effectively spec your ship different ways, right? So you can get like a teleporter for the ship or a stealth thing for the ship or whatever, right? And yeah. uh, mind control or whatever it is. And so a friend told, I never ever use the teleporter and I was comparing notes with one of my friends and the dude is like, no dude, like teleporter's OP. Like you should mess around with the teleporter. And I had an amazing run going. And the way it was going is I had a bunch of like, there's also different kind of alien races that have strengths and weaknesses. And some of the stronger, there's like, um, like the mantis is a race that is like basically like a praying mantis kind of looking thing, but they're really great at combat and they're really fast. And there's also these big rock things that have like 150% health of everything else. And they're really tough. And so I had a crew of like mantis and these rock things. And I would just teleport over to the other people's ship and I would like just wreck, wreck their crew. And, uh, or even if I wouldn't wreck their crew, I would mess them up enough where, um, they would just be, it would put them in a tough spot. And so it, you level up your teleporter enough, you can teleport people around pretty much at will. Like the re, the recharge on them is really low. But okay. I had an amazing, I had an amazing run going. I think I was like on the fifth sector. No, it was the fifth. Yeah. Probably the fifth sector. So I was near the end of the game. And I felt like great. Like this is like as confident as I am that I'm going to dominate this thing as I felt about FTL in a long time. And I beat everybody over and they're kind of blowing up the spot. They're doing great, but I didn't really think about it ahead of time. So sometimes you jump into a world and there's like world events that are happening. Like there might be like uh, people shooting at you from the surface of this planet, or there might be like solar flares that knock out part of your systems or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so the, uh, sure enough, I beam my crew over right and the solar flare comes and it knocks out my teleporter so i can't beam them back right oh no big deal or whatever um something goes wrong with the same solar flare on the other part of the enemy ship and it basically lights some stuff on fire over there right the net result is like part of their ship is on fire my uh, teleporter is repeatedly being brought down by the solar flares so i can't bring my people back to the ship to save them so pretty much my whole crew dies on the other ship and my great run is like rendered void like almost instantly. I, I believe I closed my computer in a fit of rage. <laughs> it was not good. I was very salty. <laughs> Just one of those moments where you're like, what? Yeah, what? Like, I mean, like you could have knocked out any system in my ship once. But to, like, repeatedly knock out the teleporter, like, it makes me doubt this is random at some point. Um, <laughs> Definitely specifically targeting the the, the the desire sensor, the the one where you don't want them to hit. Just don't hit this one. Right. Just, anything but this. I can deal with it. Just don't hit this one. And Correct. they hit it. Yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> I was really mad. Yeah. <laughs> Did you sort of immediately jump back in for revenge against the game then? No, I, I put it down. I, I can't like FTL is a game I play. Like, so I have it on my iPad and the iPad version is good. Um, if it's the only version you have access to, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, it's better on the PC, just the mouse controls for like yeah, yeah. all the juggling of stuff you have to do when it gets, when stuff, like I mentioned before, like the execution factor of it, it's just easier on PC than um, on iPad. But like, um, it's just, I, so I, you know, I'll play it like when I'm on a plane sometimes and then every once in a while I'll just get the itch on the PC and I'll just stream some FTL or whatever. So like, I don't like religiously play it, but I, you know, I, I fire it up easily like 12 times a year. Nice. Once a month yeah. on average. That's pretty um, good. Yeah. On average for sure. 
Nice. Well, you can take it with you to the island and uh, you can have the, you can have both versions. You can have a PC version and the iPad version. So you can, if you're walking around the Halo, you can uh, play it on your iPad if you're not near a computer terminal. Although I imagine there's a lot of terminals on the Halo. Um, And then you can play the PC version when you want to sit down and take it seriously. Your generosity is duly noted. (laughs) Very generous. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, it's about time then we move into the last game on your list, Dave. And, and you know, then we have to send you off to to the Halo. I mean, usually we send people off on a boat, but I guess this time we need a spaceship. We need some or tele- teleporters, probably. Or a teleporter, yeah. You, you yeah. know, we can run the risk of your buddy, you know, disintegrating and then reappearing in, in some part of space. I we'll take that. I risk. don't want. I don't. I don't want to go to cryo sleep. So give me the teleporter. Okay, okay, we'll give you the teleporter, and we'll get you ready. And, uh, you know, it's a uh, high time to get ready to send you off on your way, uh, sad as it is, because it's been a pleasure talking to you. So let's jump into the last game on Dave's list, and let's, of course, listen to some music, and let's go with Dave's final game. final game on Dave's list is a game I have no idea about. I honestly have not a clue what this game is. I've never heard of it. I've never even seen it, uh, which is surprising. Um, it was a game developed by Kill House Games. Very, very interesting name for a studio. Uh, yes. It's a real-time strategy game that was released with a PC back in 2014 and then later came to iPad and Android, just like FTL. It's a sort of sequel. Uh, it has a sequel in the works for it, so I am imagining it did pretty well. Um, but it's a single-player game where you sort of control like a SWAT team in a, 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 a like a tactical style. Right. And the game is called Door Kickers. Great name. What a great name. <laughs> yeah, I guess the SWAT kick down doors. <laughs> Holy shit! What a great game. Um, all right. So door kickers. Uh, so I can say the iPad version of this is very good. Uh, okay. if you don't have it, a PC is obviously preferred, uh, for a variety of reasons, but if you don't, you should not have any reservations about getting the iPad version. If you want to check this out after hearing me talk about it. All right. So door kickers. I was going to say it does have, it does well, have a 10 out of 10 on steam. So yeah. So there's, there's a lot going on here. And it all kind of is very complimentary. Like this game is like more than the sum of its parts, essentially. Right. 
Okay. So, okay. Bear with bear with me when I'm describing the parts. Um, so there's the first part when you're like deployed on a mission, right? And the mission might be, hey, there's six uh, tangos in this building. You have to kill them all, right? Yeah. Or or it might be like a hostage rescue, where you have to scour this facility, find the hostage, and escort them out without any casualties. It might be you have to go defuse this bomb or whatever, right? So you know that, and you have your SWAT team in place. And then the, the first part of it is very much like the old Rainbow Six games that had planning stages. You remember those? Yeah, so, yeah. So it's like a planning stage in Rainbow Six where you can say, okay, I want this person to enter the building from here, and I want this person to enter from here. And then you can also give, like, commands to, like, okay, get, get to this door, and you get to this door, wait for each other, and then when you're both ready and I give the alpha command, you're both going to flashbang the door at the same time and go in shooting, right? So you can play the entire game from that from that as a planning game if you want. So you never actually have to intervene if you don't want to, right? Um, you can do the whole thing out and plan it out, and then you're going to do this, and then you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. And that's really, really novel and really, really cool. Yeah, but then, that sounds fun. But then, but then you start the mission, and you actually, the way I play it, is I don't really do much planning. I just kind of plan where I want people, and then I'm controlling them in the moment. And so, every every person has a bunch of inventory, and the inventory is kind of defined by like the classes of the SWAT officer. They might have like a camera you can stick under the door, right? They might have like a sledgehammer to knock open a locked door or whatever, right? And so, using all the various gadgets and gizmos, you're kind of very stealthily making your way through this house, right? And you're clearing corners and you're sweeping rooms because like and you're doing it very meticulously and very by the numbers, right? Because like like you get shot once in this game, your character could die. And oh, it's perma it, just like yeah. real life. That right. Was, and, I like that. And it's permadeath for that character, right? And okay, well, who cares about that? Well, the reason you care about that is because every character that makes it out of the mission gets experience, right? And then okay. you use that experience to level them up. And then they can unlock more gear for them so they can have access to cooler gadgets and cooler weapons. And there's they can just, like, have more stuff, right? And so then it's like, oh, this is easy. I've got, like, nine people on my SWAT team or whatever it is. I'm just going to keep leveling these three up. Well, that works great until you get, like, 20% into the game. And now you've got a mission where you need to send six people in, right? And now you have, like, three noobs and three pretty good people. And so you're trying to, like, balance that out. Oh, I should have been leveling up everyone all along. Okay, I'm going to start over. And then you do that again, and you realize, oh, shit, I got to unlock this. And it's like, the game is like, it's also got the thing I mentioned before of like Trials Fusion where, you know, the first time you finish a level in Door Kickers, it's not going to be pretty, right? Um, Ugly victory. Yeah, but then it's like they have the same kind of like, you know, one star, two star, three star goals where if you could do it, zero casualties, and this amount of time you get three stars. And those stars are, by the way, which you can unlock more things in the game. So you can unlock, like, the M4 for your assault squad or whatever, right? Okay. Or the body sh- or the body shield for the bomb team or whatever it is, right? So um, all these things, all these elements tie together to make this, like, oh, there's also, like, you do a mission one time, and then you do it again, and all the terrorists are in different places in the house. Like, so there's, there's RNG to it as well, right? And so... It's not like this thing you just grind it and you learn where everyone is. And, you you know, there's places they'll probably be, but you never know, right? And so... It's never you know, 100% guaranteed that you'll have the information. Okay. Right. And so, you know, you look at, like, you got the planning phase, you have the execution phase, 
you have these RPG level up elements. You have this unlocking system. You have um, just a ton of content. There's so many levels in this game. And the levels start off as like, hey, it's a three-person shack. Go kill everybody. To like, no, this is like a multi-story mansion. Like a three-floor mansion. Like on a seaside. And it's filled up with like 25 enemies and three hostages, right? So it gets really, really complica complicated, really, really heated. and But it just builds in this way that... It never built the difficulty never gets too hard too fast and you always feel like everything's achievable and all these elements together make it without a doubt like the most uh like refreshing complete um kind of like tactics game i've played in a long time it does sound very XCOM like like you know you got the permadeath the yeah. people get experience if they pass and also uh like XCOM 2 um what was I going to say? I can't remember what I was going to say. Like in it's XCOM a very two, good... they, 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 so it's randomly generated more. Um, right. Yeah, that's a very it, good analogy. It's it's very it's very much like it's like a uh, indie XCOM, but like okay, the yeah, and it's it's very uh, it's very but without like there there's the one thing it doesn't have that XCOM has is like there's like that meta overworld, you know, like whereas this is more like nope, you're doing this mission, then this mission, then this mission. It's not like there's this state of the city or anything. It's like you know, you have to police, but other than that, it's a very great analogy. So how often have you been playing this game then? I haven't played this in a long time, uh, but I'm going to play it tonight. Basically when I'm done recording this, I'm going to stream some door kickers. Cause I realized like, I was just looking at my steam list and I'm like, okay, what's on here? I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot about door kickers. How have I forgotten about door kickers? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, it's, it is, uh, I probably, I don't know how much total time I put into it. Like I probably actually played the iPad version more than the steam version. Uh, just cause I played it a lot of flights for a long time. Um, I probably got about 300 hours in across both versions. Probably. Woo. It's nice. And I, and I haven't even come close to seeing all the, all the levels and stuff. So. And obviously when a, you mean streaming after this, you mean streaming from the halo because. Gosh, you know, I forgot. I forgot. You're 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 going somewhere. You're. <laughs> well, I'll just play door kickers in silence then, I guess. So <laughs> maybe no one we ever, can. No maybe one we can set it. up like a little stream <laughs> feed, like a like there could be like a a computer terminal room, in, yeah. the one area of the Halo where you can stream from, but the, you can't see the chat though, because otherwise. Yeah, the one way communication. We would have to make sure that no one could come and save you. So we can't give you a location away. Well, if you, if you could figure out any, a way in your heart to not compromise the spirit of this, but allow me to stream, I, I know I would appreciate it, and the tens of viewers I get would appreciate it. Well, uh, well, let's think about this, because if you were streaming from space, and you're in a Halo, you'd definitely become the number one Twitch streamer, easily. Yeah, I could get affiliated I, like that. There would be a niche that no one else could fill. Yeah. Yeah, this, this this is sounding like it's not going to happen, huh? Like, yeah, you can't let me do this. Oh, well. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Well, you'd have to be in some sort of bubble so no one can come save you. I mean, how... If we, if you're the only one with access to a teleporter that gets taken away from you when you arrive, I guess right. no one else can come and save you. So I guess it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, you know I'm what? generous. It, yeah, or also, yeah, if you make it so like I have no microphone and no way to chat, I can't say, like, I'm on Halo 6! <laughs> come save me 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, maybe just the gameplay. Just the gameplay. You can stream the gameplay. But I'm like renaming all my door kicker characters. Like, come save me on. I'm on Halo Six. <laughs> it's, it, it's fraud. I have had, I've had people try that before. I mean, in Minecraft, people wanted to play multiplayer so they could spell out the location coordinates in blocks. Yeah. People will go to great lengths to escape from my islands. This is fraught with problems. It yeah. is. We yeah. we'll, we'll see how it goes, and then we might have to. I have to put the boot in it and kill it. Fair enough. <laughs> but Dave, that does mean we have come to the end and we've, we have to get ready to get you teleporting. We will, we'll fire up the teleporter ready for you to get going. And quite sadly, because it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It's been fun. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, but there is one thing I have to ask you before you go. It's the last question we- I have to ask everyone before they leave and that's of course we talk about games on final games you're gonna you're gonna be taking eight games with you eight games that you've you've pined over for a few weeks about cutting and choosing and you know we got door kickers and we got all the other great games that you've chosen um but if we talk about like video gaming and consoles and stuff like that the way we play games is really important so if you could only take one console with you, you can't take PC because, you know, PC can emulate anything. So it's pretty much all consoles in one. If you could only take one console with you, what would you take? Oh, boy. Well, do I get all the games on the hard drive right now? So you get, you, yeah, you take the back catalog into consideration, yeah. Is so is is it any game that I may or may not have I have access to or is it Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. if you choose the PlayStation 2, you have all the PlayStation 2 games. If you choose the Wii, you have all the Wii games. So, yeah. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm making a speculative choice. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to say the Switch. Ooh, yes. A man after my own heart. I like it. The, the Switch is currently my favorite console. Um it's off to an amazing start. Uh, even if I only get Zelda and Mario to play for the rest of my life, uh, I could do a lot worse than that. Uh, but I, sus- <laughs> I, I do suspect, though, a lot of top-notch content is going to be making its way to the Switch in ways uh, you have not seen on Nintendo platforms ever before. I think so, so too. So I'm, I'm picking the Switch. Well, you can take the Switch and you can take its current huge back catalog, actually, for literally not even existing a year. Consider it's, it's, it's huge. And we just, you know, Night in the Woods and uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer and all those wonderful indie games that come out came out for it this week. Uh, so you can take the Switch and the back catalog, as well as the eight games that you've chosen today. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. So please tell the wonderful listeners, before you leave, before you're teleported out of here where they can find you on the internet and anything of yours or that you are a part of that they should be checking out. Okay. I, I'm, are you ready? This is going to be a long list. Go, go ahead. This is, this is where this podcast becomes three hours. Um, <laughs> so you can follow me on Twitter at Joseph J. Brony. Uh, you can follow Iron Galaxy on Twitter uh, at I to the G. Uh, we have a new game coming out on Facebook. Uh, April 10th called Extinction. It's super awesome. It's kind of like uh, arcade uh, action-packed Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, you can follow that at Extinction MG. Um, I am on two podcasts that I run. I'm on Team GFB Radio. Uh, it's me and Daryl, a guy I work with. We talk about like game development and a lot of travel stuff and just general shenanigans and stories and stuff. I'm also on a new podcast, if you're into hip-hop, 
uh, me and Jeff Gersman are doing a podcast together called I'm a Fix Wolves. Uh, it's, not on I, it's not on iTunes yet, but it will be shortly. Uh, go to imafixwolves.com for the archives and for the links and stuff. Can I, uh, can, I come on, can I come on one episode and talk about my fascination with Korean hip-hop? Is that cool? Can I do that? We actually talked a lot about Korean hip-hop in the very first episode. Oh my god, uh, I missed it. Damn it. No, but, Damn I would lo- but I would love to do it again because, like, so we talked about, like, uh, Year of the Ox and all that stuff. Like, the ones that, like, kind of Korean rap that made it over here. But then I, yeah. watched that bad, I watched that bad rap documentary. Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. No. Oh my god. So if you're into Korean hip-hop... So check. So there is a uh, Netflix documentary called Bad Rap. Yeah. And it is all about Korean rappers. Oh my god, I'm down. It's amazing. Yeah, you got to check it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you want to do it, uh, another episode, I'm down. I'm my my obsession with Korean hip hop right now is through the roof. Okay. Uh, so much uh, Korean hip hop. Yeah, I think uh, maybe what we do is uh, maybe if there's a week where uh, Jeff's unavailable, I tag you in and we talk Korean hip hop. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Done and done. Dunzo. There we go. <laughs> what else are you doing? Uh, that's all. That's that's all the news that's fit to print. Uh, you can follow me on Twitch at Joseph J Brony, even though that's not going to matter because I'm going to Halo Six that's and I'm true. never going to stream again. Um, <laughs> so actually, yeah, you don't even follow me. I, everything I said is irrelevant because I'm going to disappear. <laughs> so I guess they don't can even find bother. the memories of you through the these portals. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Yeah, that, that's about it for me. Excellent. Well. There you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games. It's been an utter pleasure having you, as always. And, as always, you can find me, Liam Edwards, at LiamBME on Twitter. You can also find the show at Final Games Show. You can find Final Games Podcast on iTunes if you search Final Games. You can Google it. You can search Final Games and you'll find it too. It's also on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com forward slash Final Games Podcast. Uh, you can rate and review it. That would be great. You can also listen to my brand new podcast with Super Bunny Hop and Matt Visual called The Dad and Sons Podcast. It's a weekly show on George's YouTube channel that we do. Um, talking about video games, talking about pop culture. I talk a lot about Japan and Japanese aspects of pop culture and stuff like that that maybe you don't know too much about. So why not tune into that? Also, I'm making a game at the moment that's going to be debuting at Bit Summit this year, hopefully. So, if you're oh, interested nice. in game development, yes, yes, Dave, if you're coming, please, please come check it out. I, it I don't know great. if I'm coming this year or not, but if I if okay. I do come, I will check it out 100. percent That would be awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm making a small. Uh, a lot of people who probably listen to the show, who follow me on Twitter, probably know about it, and I've probably been bugging you to test play the little demo I have at the moment. It's nothing massive, but it's my first solo project as an indie developer. So if you're interested, please follow me on Twitter and you can sort of keep up with some little updates about that. Especially you know if you're what interested I, in Japan. You know what I say about indie games? What? There's no small projects, only small audiences. There we go. They, you, heard it, you heard it from the publishing man himself. There you go. <laughs> I feel a little better about my game now. <laughs> That's funny, actually, because... Uh, as a little aside to that, I did announce that I was going to, I submitted it to BitSummit this year, uh, last week and immediately I, cause it was pretty late. I went to bed. I, I crunched out the, the submission build, submitted it. And, um, anyone who listens to the Dan Sons podcast already knows this, but I submitted it and then I woke up and, and my, the, my Twitter was like blowing up a little bit and I was like, Oh, what the? I was in a sleepy daze and I had no idea why. And it it said like it said Yoshida, and I was like, oh, oh I don't know, I don't know what that is. So I went back to sleep and I woke up and I I checked and I looked and I was like, no, I can't be right. 
I opened my phone and it was uh, Shuhei Yoshida. Wow. The man, the man himself, the Sony man himself, he'd uh, somehow found it on Twitter. I don't know whether it, it appeared in his feed from someone or something. Uh, but he said, I really like because it's kind of it's based around a Japanese salaryman. Okay. Um, so the name is Salaryman Suzuki-san. And so he really liked the name. He said, I really like the name. And I uh, I can't wait to come and play it at Bits of it. So now I'm freaking the fuck out. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. I, yeah, I've met you yeah. a few times. And he uh, he strikes – like Adam knows him really well. I've met him a few times. And Adam loves him and adores him. And he's always been very nice to me. So uh, He seems I bet, very sweet. Yeah, and also I think it's sincere. Like I don't think he's just saying that to say it. I think like he said that because he has genuine interest in checking out what you're doing, right? So uh, uh, that, now, that, yes. So yeah. <laughs> now I'm freaking cool. out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the pressure the pressure is on to make something that he enjoys even a little. That would be great. But yeah, yeah. if you're interested in sort of my progression to developing that, I keep I try to tend to keep it. I don't show off it too much. One out of fear, and also two out of excitement for showing it when it's finally finished. But if you're interested in game development progression, then please follow me on Twitter and you can do that. But thank you for listening to this episode of Final Games. I hope to see you again next time. And until then, goodbye.